Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Well, it's good to have you back with us on the podcast, and it's good to have Krista back with us tonight. Hey, everybody. <laughs> well, thank you. That's awfully kind. She made a whirlwind trip of about five days to North Carolina and did a wedding and stopped by and saw the little one and spent some time with her family, and that was a very good time for her. Now, what we're talking about tonight, after a disaster, some type of SHTF or job loss or economic collapse or even an alien zombie frog invasion, Mm -hmm. we still have to eat. So we must be storing food and water. And we should be layering our preps if we're looking at prepping for the long term. Now, a lot of this doesn't apply if you're looking at just building up a month's supply of food. But if you're looking at long-term food prepping, you need to be layering those food preps. And what we like to do is break this down into three particular groups. Actually, a short-term storage, foods that would be within the one to three-year range of storage, a longer term of anywhere from, say, five to 15 years, depending on storage, and then what we deem the extreme long-term food storage, which we can look at foods that are designed to last at 25 or more years. So we're going to break those down by type. All right, let's start with short-term storage. These are the things that must be rotated out every one to three years, depending on how they're stored. What kind of things are we looking at right there? We're looking at a lot of your canned foods, and again, these are the foods that you normally eat anyway. So you're going to have in your prepper pantry the very same kinds of foods that you have in your active pantry. Canned vegetables, canned meats, canned fruits, pasta, boxed meals like mac and cheese, hamburger helper, pasta salad, uh, even frozen foods. When you've got this type of short-term storage, you can include your freezer and your refrigerator as well. Things that we normally eat. The types of things that we've told you, pick up one or two extra every grocery trip to build your prepper pantry. These are the foods that we're going to be eating regularly, and we will be rotating in and out of this food pantry as needed in our daily lives to maintain freshness and to also rotate these foods on a more regular basis. Okay, now it's hard to store more than one year of short-term foods without having some expire. With a year's worth of storage, you can rotate those out pretty well, but you can't store three years' worth of food all in short-term storage type foods and be able to rotate that out with some of those that are going to expire. We realize that most canned goods can safely be eaten long after the expiration date. It is just best to use them up and replace them throughout the year. Besides, a year of food storage will cover about 98% of the events we could face, which would include a job loss or an economic downturn. Longer term, and extreme storage foods let us build up our food preps to much longer than a year without having to rotate. This is where you're looking at the 5 to 10 year event, some type of a teotwaki, the end of the world as we know it, which doesn't mean necessarily that life goes away, but some type of 
life-altering or society-altering event. You know, you can actually build up what we call a food bucket and have those ready for being able to hand out to your family, your neighbors, your friends, your church members, your social group, when you're faced with dire circumstances like what Mark is just describing, something that would put you in need for a much longer period of time than, say, a month or three months or even six months. We call those charity buckets. Mm -hmm. And these charity buckets could be given away. Sure. To people when they're in need. And you go back many, many years ago before so many organizations got into food banks and things like that. If you had a member or friend in the community that lost a job, people would take them a week's worth of groceries or two weeks and say, hey, I was just worried, just want to make sure you're going to be able to make it through. But we don't see that that often anymore. And these long-term food buckets of things like rice and beans and pasta let you be able to share that with others in those dire situations. We're going to talk about the long-term in just a minute. That's what we're going to actually be discussing tonight. But explain extreme long-term storage to us. This is a more modern or a more recent prepper product uh, group where there are manufacturers, say Mountain Home for, as a brand comes to mind, where they have prepared dehydrated and freeze-dried foods that have been packaged in such a way that they will maintain their freshness for literally 25 years. Meaning that if you're unable to have fresh harvested groceries, foods, fruits, vegetables, things like that, that these freeze-dried foods are they tell me they're very palatable and rather delicious and easy to prepare. Now, the one thing that you do have to be careful with on those long, long-term long storage foods, the food buckets that you mentioned, is be sure to measure calories, not number of servings. Because some of the serving size, if you go by what they're calling a serving size, you wind up on a diet of about 1,200 calories a day which that might be okay if you're just sitting in a bunker somewhere. And if you've got a bunker underground, then it's a good thing to have a bunch of these food buckets so that you'll be able to eat for a much more extended period of time. But if you're counting on these, be sure that you count the calories and not the servings. Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about that middle group, the one that's between the short term and the extreme long term. We're just going to talk about longer termed food storage. And we're going to give you some examples of those as well. Yeah, these are some of the things that we can store and we can store if they're properly packaged. Now, that doesn't mean you just bring it home from the package in the store and throw it in the bucket. Flour is an example. Now, I've heard of folks that would what is it, weevils that get in flour? Yeah, there, there's uh, mealy moths and weevils and a variety of little bugaboos that want to try to nest inside your flour sacks. So one of the things that I've heard is put that flour in the freezer for two or three days and let it freeze, and it will kill off anything, eggs or whatever, that are in there. And then you can take that out and you can store it in a food-grade bucket with the oxygen absorbers, or you can vacuum seal that and you can get a much, much longer term. Now, there are a lot of uses for flour. One, it's a high caloric content and you can add it to things to thicken them up. You can thicken up some soups a little bit and get some more calories in that way. Make gravy with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Make gravy. And you have found a way, which I don't think we've mentioned this on the podcast, but 
We've gone keto for a while, and it's doing wonders with my blood sugar and my blood pressure. And I've lost 13 pounds in about five and a half weeks, so that's a side benefit to it. Uh, You have found, what is it, almond flour? Yes, I'm now using almond flour, and there's also coconut flour that are keto-approved. They do render biscuits and pancakes that have a slightly different texture, but they're Mm -hmm. certainly quite edible. And they're pretty good when you haven't had a pancake in a while. (laughs) We're just trying to make lower-carb choices healthier choices. So when you're storing that flour, I would suggest that you freeze it, and then after it's frozen for a few days that you bring it out and you store it in an airtight container, keep it in a cool place away from direct sunlight. And remember, with all of your food preps, you need to protect that from rodents and pests. If you find value in our podcast, would you consider supporting us by buying us a cup of coffee? You can do that by going to www.buymeacoffee.com slash practicalprep. Your support helps us keep the podcast up and running as well as growing. We have a few things in the planning stages and your support will really help make those things happen. And we thank you so kindly. Other things you can consider for longer-term storage would be biscuit mix. Some of the pre-made biscuit mixes like Pioneer or Bisquick comes to mind. They also make, you can make pancakes and waffles and things with that. And these are very low-cost items, and you can also rotate those in and out of your pantry as needed. Yeah, and those are cheap enough that if you buy three or four or five boxes of Bisquick and it gets down about every two or three years, you can just take that out, give it away, do whatever and purchase another set of those. I mean, those are not expensive at all, and you're not throwing away a whole lot of money if you do it that way. Other things to keep in mind would be salt. You can buy salt in various ways, and I actually keep three different kinds of salt here in the house. I have regular iodized granulated salt. I use a lot of kosher salt in my cooking, and I also have pink Himalayan salt. And salt is vitally important. I mean, if you Try to eat food without salt flavoring, and you're going to find it's not as enjoyable. But it also serves a function. There's a mineral content to salt that helps keep your electrolytes working well in your body. You can also obviously season your food with it. It helps to preserve meat. It is a um, abrasive cleaner. I'll even use kosher salt when I'm cleaning my cast iron pans, and Mm -hmm. it works like a charm. Something else you want to keep in mind is sugar, regular granulated sugar. We now are using keto types of sugars that are keto approved, but same kind of deal. Keep them the same way. But we also keep regular sugar stored Mm -hmm. because if we go into a long-term SHTF situation, keto's out the window. Right. You know, we're we're going to be working. We're going to be putting in the added labor, which is going to increase our exercise in air quotes. And so we'll be burning off a lot of that sugar, but sugar provides a very quick energy. That's why when you get to feeling down, you can grab a candy bar and it'll perk you up, but you have to be careful for that crash that's coming after that. But that sugar provides a lot of calories. Oh, it is. You're going to be working them off, that's for sure. And, of course, you know, it makes tea drinkable (laughs) in the Deep South anyway. It's vitally important that your tea be sweet. Another item that does appear to keep indefinitely, and that's honey. 
good old-fashioned honey. There's all different kinds of honey. And you can find honey locally available in your area. A lot of folks like to buy local honey. Mm -hmm. It actually helps with their allergies, Right, their seasonal allergies. I read something the other day that there were some archaeologists that were doing some excavation in one of the countries where they dug into some of the pyramids and things, and they found some honey in there that was several thousand years old. Now, it had... What would you call it? Granulated? It had sort of crystallized. Crystallized. That's yeah. the word I'm looking for. And you need to heat that up and it will liquefy again. But they actually tested that honey that was several thousand years old and found it to actually be edible even to this day. Now, honey is delicious. I used to just love to get a tablespoon of honey and just eat it straight. When we were kids, my uncle and a buddy of his kept bees and it's nothing like cutting off a piece of honeycomb and just chewing on that. It's kind of almost like a chewing gum, waxy yeah. chewing gum type yeah. experience. Did you know you can even take a small amount of honey and spread it across a cut on your skin or a scrape because it actually has antiseptic qualities mm-hmm. and helps to purify that skin and keeps it from being highly infected with a lot of bacteria. So that'll be a good thing to have in an SHTF long-term storage. Now, here's one that I used to go through a tremendous amount. And yes, I got in trouble on one podcast by admitting that when my jar got empty, I switched the lids with her jar. Oh, you're talking about the peanut butter. The peanut butter. Yeah, peanut butter is one of those superfood kind of items. It's a It's a broadly used and widely accepted food. It's very shelf-stable. It does not require refrigeration. It's got the protein, fats, vitamins, minerals. You can do smooth peanut butter. You can do crunchy peanut butter. They now even have peanut butter in a powder form. It's relatively inexpensive. It's got a high caloric content, which is important when you're doing the hard work. Now go back to that powdered. Mm-hmm. How would you reconstitute that? Well, I mentioned powdered peanut butter, and generally it's been used nowadays as a baking additive for flavoring purposes. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it, if you've got some butter and maybe some shortening, you could throw some peanut butter powder in some of those things and kind of make a substitute peanut butter if you didn't actually have a jar of it. We're going to have to do some investigation of that because Mm -hmm. I was just thinking powdered peanut butter might take up much less storage in long-term storage than would jars of peanut butter. Oh, I can see that it would because it's not a liquid. It's Mm -hmm. a powder, so it would keep longer. You know, you could survive pretty well just on peanut butter alone. You really could. Maybe not for years, but uh, you could survive for weeks on just nothing but peanut butter. It's certainly better than having nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, if it's all you have, it, you're not as likely to get bored with it. I guess in that case, I would eat zucchini, but not <laughs> not willingly unless I was in a very dire situation. Now, another good thing about peanut butter is it is relatively inexpensive for what it is. And it has a very high caloric content. And almost every kid loves it. Obviously, if you've got a peanut allergy, this doesn't apply to Mm -hmm. you. But there are other nut butters that you can consider in these same ways. There are almond butters and different types of peanut butter-like substances. If you've got a peanut allergy, you can use these alternatives and store them just the same way. Now, something else you want to consider in your longer-term food storage are packages of dry beans and dry peas. 
Beans and peas, as we know, are packed with nutrition. They're full of fiber. There, are, there is some protein content. There's some vitamin and mineral content. It's relatively inexpensive as a food source. It's very filling. They store a long time, and they store well. You can use beans uh, as a main dish. A lot of our early settlers and pioneers and even the cowboys, they live for weeks and months on beans and coffee. And so it could be a main dish. It could be a side dish. You can throw some tender cooked beans into some soups and stews and kind of even use it as a meat substitute if you wanted to. And they're very filling. And if you have been smart enough to store some cornmeal, you can make some cornbread to go with those beans. Right. And just a few examples of what we're talking about would be pinto beans, navy beans, great northern beans, kidney beans, butter beans, black beans, black-eyed peas, butter peas, chickpeas, also known as garbanzo beans. So these are prevalent in canned form, but in the longer-term storage, we recommend it in the dry form and then cook them. And there's a variety of recipes and ways to cook beans and peas from the dry state into the edible state all over Pinterest and other types of recipe sites. And I would suggest as well with these, if you're going to be storing beans for long-term, snip the corner of the bag that it comes in and then put that whole thing down into a vacuum seal bag. And I say snip the corner of the original bag so that it draws all the air out of inside that particular bag. And they will store better if you can vacuum seal them. Good call. Although they do store fairly well in a dry bucket and a food grade bucket with an oxygen absorber. Something else to consider are bags of rice, long cooking rice. The type of rice that's going to cook around the 15 to 20 minutes, not the instant minute rice or anything. Rice stores, again, fairly inexpensive, high nutritional value. It's very versatile. It can be main dish. It You can punch up some casseroles. It can be, of course, a side dish. Add that to soups and stews. There's a great deal of variety with rice. There's white rice, brown rice, yellow rice, long grain, and wild rice. Many different brands and breeds of rice that are prevalent and available and an extremely important staple in your long-term storage for food. Now, one of the things that I was researching recently on rice, now we know that brown rice is better for us than white rice, nutritionally, health-wise. But it's been found that white rice stores better in the long term than does brown rice, yellow rice, and such. Interesting to know. And while we're talking about rice, we want to also make sure to remember to put some salt in that cooking water. So again, we talked about salt, but you also want to think about various other spices besides salt and sugar. Think about things like garlic powder, garlic salt, paprika, onion salt, onion powder, perhaps even the spices and herbs, oregano, fennel, rosemary, thyme, tarragon. Also, for your uh, longer term, think about some sauces. Hot sauce. I I want some Texas peat. I'm going to want some barbecue sauce. I'm going to want some teriyaki. I might want some buffalo sauce, maybe some of that yum-yum sauce that you get with the blooming onion at the restaurant. And for those of us looking at our sodium content, consider some salt alternatives. Mrs. Dash makes an entire line of salt alternatives. There's one called no salt. There's Yeah, no salt, exactly. So 
there are so many different things to think about when it comes to long-term storage of not just food, but the sauces, the spices, the seasonings, and the herbs that will be necessary to make those foods palatable. Now, all of these items that we've talked about tonight will store pretty well in food buckets if they're kept airtight and they're kept out of direct sunlight and you protect them from rodents. So be careful with that. Make sure that they are protected so that you don't lose your preps to that. You don't actually have to use a food-grade bucket for these items as long as the food itself isn't touching what bucket you're using. Mm -hmm. You can vacuum seal these beans and rice like Mark was explaining and anything else that's in a plastic bag. You can line a non-food-grade bucket with a contractor-grade trash bag. We we specify that type because it's got a thicker plastic, so it's going to last longer. And again, some of these trash bags that are built for the home, they're treated inside with some anti-odorants. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't want food coming in contact with that. But the contractor grade is used normally outside for debris on job sites to throw debris in. And they generally do not have that anti-odorant added inside. But if you place the vacuum seal bags and the other items inside that bag and tie it off, you can put it into a non-food grade bucket. And one of the things, and you know, we have a couple of cats, and so we go through a lot of cat litter. And we find that those buckets are great for putting long-term storage foods in. You can even put canned foods in some of those buckets for storage purposes. But be sure that you have that manual can opener. If you're looking at building a bucket to be able to give away as a charity bucket, and this is a place that you can use that inexpensive can opener, but put a manual can opener inside each one of those buckets because you don't want to give a family food that they can't get to if they don't have a manual can opener. Now, we do not suggest that you build food buckets or buy any of the 25-year food bucket foods until you have already stored three months minimum of food and water. Think about it. What good would it do you to have a large amount of dehydrated food if you don't have enough water stored back and all you need to do is just get through the next couple of weeks? Right, and you don't want to be digging into that freeze-dried, which is more expensive. You don't want to be digging into that and your dehydrated foods, your very long-term storage like you said, just to make it for a couple of weeks. That's why the whole the whole topic tonight is layer your prep. And what we're saying is each prepper should consider something of all of these, mm-hmm. the short term, the extreme long term, and then that middle spot that we're talking about, longer term storage. And I think we went a couple of years of prepping before we even considered purchasing any extremely long term storage type food. Mm-hmm. I would say a minimum of three months before you even consider building any food buckets. If you build them yourself, it's even less expensive, and you can build them with the rice and beans and things that we've discussed tonight. And later on, you can purchase those extremely long-term 25-year storage food. But I would have enough food to last for a considerable amount of time before I started adding those unless you just have a pretty much unlimited budget and can go ahead and start doing that. But then and only then should you be buying those long-term storage foods. 
It's completely your choice. We just want you to think about your preps in a very practical way. So certainly use your own judgment about how you're doing what you're doing. We just want to impart to you we, the ways that we believe are the, the smartest and easiest and best ways to manage your time and your budget for your preps. The whole point is that regardless of what happens, you'll still have to eat. You have to eat. And it really doesn't matter how you do it. Just properly store some food and water. Anything else you want to add tonight? Just remember to layer those preps. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. If you haven't done this already, go ahead and click the subscribe button so you'll never miss one of our episodes. And share it with your friends and family. You can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And as always, remember, stuff happens, stay prepared.